so with this particular series, um, which isn't really a series, it's just two independent weeks. Last year we did Christmas, we did like a whole month for Christmas, and like I wanted to kill myself, um, which isn't how you should feel at Christmas. <laughs> so this year I was like, I'm not doing a month of Christmas. It is not happening, man. We're doing one Sunday. Um, so um, we have these two weeks where we're going to do something slightly random. So what I did was I felt that God can speak to us in a number of ways. And so our designer, who is awesome, I said to him, don't design anything new. Send me things you've done in your spare time creatively. He's a really great Christian, creative kind of guy. And he sent me all these different designs over. And I looked through them and I just waited on God. What are you going to say? Which ones are you going to speak to? And so we have two pictures that I've nabbed. And this one on the hymnal is our first one. It is a picture of a mountain. So today we're going to be speaking about mountains. Um, if after the talk for some reason you want to kind of soak in that a little bit more, the hymnal image isn't like that high quality, but you can steal it off of our Facebook page, um, Twitter, or um, off the actual website. So today begins with actually a couple of mountain quotes. I've been reading some mountain stories as a result of this image. Because I was like, man, I have never... I, I felt God draw me to the picture, but I was like, God, I have never climbed a mountain in my life. I know nothing about mountains. They're big. That's about all I know about mountains. And um, I checked out a few things. There's this amazing inspirational kind of um, story about a guy called Sir Edmund Hillary, who was the first ever man to climb up Mount Everest. And he did it on May 29th. 1953, he scaled the highest mountain then known to man, 29,000 feet straight up. He was knighted for his efforts. In 1952, um, in 1952, he attempted to climb Mount Everest but failed. A few weeks later, a group in England asked him to address its members. Hillary walked on the stage to a thunderous applause. The audience was recognizing an attempt at greatness, but Hillary himself saw it as failure. He moved away from the microphone, walked to the edge of the platform, and he made a fist and pointed at the picture of Everest. And he said in a loud voice, Mount Everest, you beat me the first time, but I'll beat you the next time, because you've grown or you're going to grow, but I'm still growing. I'm still growing. What I love about that is this guy's gone up a mountain. He hasn't actually conquered the mountain, um, but something amazing has happened. Something of a transformation has happened in him. There's another great quote, which is, um, you don't conquer the mountain, you conquer yourself. Um, so the mountain's there, but in order to climb it, it's not the mountain that you're needing to conquer. It's you within that says, I cannot do this. This is insane. This is a terrible, terrible idea. So many, many times when I've done talks here, I've related to, and I'm going to quickly touch on it, but I'm not going to stay there, to Mount Sinai, which is where the children of Israel come out of slavery They've been held down, they've been beaten into suppression, they're finally free, and one of the key things I want to point out about this God that they meet with is that he invites them, he invites them up the mountain. They meet at this mountain 50 days after their freedom, um, they're at Mount Sinai, they're entering into this relationship with God. God doesn't say, yo Moses, you come up here, he invites all the people, but the majority of the people are scared and afraid. But you see, what happens on that mountain is something very sacred and holy, and I've said it a few times before, 
is that it's not just the law of God, it's his instruction. It's not just the law and his instruction, it's, his, it's the DNA for this particular people group. It's how they're supposed to live. It's the culture they're supposed to embody. It's the way they're supposed to live. It's their new identity. All they've known is slavery their whole lives. He's given them a new alternative. And for God to change this people that come out of slavery at Mount Sinai, what he's trying to do is, he's trying to bring them up from a different perspective. From a different perspective. You see, you cannot stay on the summit forever. You have to come down again. The question is, why bother in the first place? Well, this is the reason why you bother. What is above knows what is below, but what is below does not know what is above. One climbs, one sees. One descends, one sees no longer, but one has seen. There is an art of conducting oneself in the lower regions by the memory of what one saw when higher up. When one can no longer see, one can at least still know. God wants to bring them up to this place at Mount Sinai, where he wants them to meet with him. They've been living their existence being told, you are dirt, you are dust, you are nothing, you are small. He calls them up the mountain because he has a plan to say, you are so much more. You can be greater than the sum of your parts. You know what I mean? He's calling them up the mountain because he has something bigger for them. They're not restricted to the perspective that they think that there is, this is all there is. This is who they are. There is no greater plan for them. They are slaves. They are dust. And the reason they don't go up the mountain is because they're still stuck in that previous mentality. They've been oppressed and beaten down for so long that they are not quite able to comprehend this invitation up is really for them. So they stay at the bottom. And when they stay at the bottom, what they actually end up doing in their spare time while Moses goes up the mountain is they decide to stay in the, in the standard of living they had before. It wasn't a freak accident. They ended up making a golden calf and worshipping it. They'd worshipped golden calves in Egypt. They stuck with what they know. They stuck with what was small, what they had before. Even though what was for them was so much greater, was so much more wonderful, they stayed at the bottom of the mountain. The thing about God is, and what is awesome about him, is his mercy and his loving kindness never ceases, but he always invites us up. He always invites us up, even if we're not going to stay up the mountain forever. He invites us up to change our perspective, to change our mentality, to change the way we see, to change the values that we have, to change the love we have for one another. And then he'll send us down the mountain because we can now live where we are, having seen and experienced what we've experienced in our moment with him. So, so often, sometimes we have, um, people have like these great worship experiences where they have these great time of worship and people talk about it being up the mountain. And they're like, Peter, when they meet with Jesus up there, when he transfigures, they're like, let's just stay here and build tents and, and never leave this place. Whereas God's plan is always to send them down because when Moses comes down the mountain, he finds their worship in a golden calf and he starts to lead them into the new DNA that God has for them, the new lifestyle, the new mission, the new plan. And so it is important while up the mountain, what we encounter, what we experience, what we know, what is revealed to us by God is there for us to live out when we are down below. But way, way, way before that ever takes place, we arrive with the story of Abraham. Now, if you have a Bible, go to Genesis chapter 22. And we'll be reading from there. 
After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. He saw it and he recognized what God had described to him. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took it in his hand. He took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both of them went together. And Isaac said to his father, Dad, here I am, here I am my son, he replied. Dad, we've got the fire. We've got the wood. But we haven't got a lamb for a burnt offering. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place that God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on your boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear the Lord, that you um, respect and awe. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord. It shall be provided. This is an amazing story. For us, um, being from a Western kind of background, we read in a linear fashion. And so we start the story reading like, oh my gosh, this God is a monster. This, this absolute beast. Like, and, and we see it in this kind of way. I mean, all I can ever imagine is the conversation afterwards, walking back down the mountain. Like, uh, do you want to explain to me what the freaking heck just happened? Like, seriously? Like... Did that just happen? Like, I tell you what, I am moving out. I'm getting a job. I am moving out. This is not cool. But actually, this is incredibly cool. This passage is such an amazing passage in, in the Old Testament. For a number of reasons. If any of you have been to university, I haven't. But um, it's Freshers' Week. And you go into this huge hall. And um, everyone is pitching their roller banners. <laughs> saying who they are what they're about, and they are competing for freshers. New fresh meat has entered the university, and everyone is competing for the fresh meat. Everyone sees dollar signs, everyone sees money. You have to be, join our Af- African-Caribbean society. You have, to join, you have to join our football, our, our, our um, people against um, camel skin, um, cow hide, handbags and shoes. There's societies for everything. You've got to join us. You've got to join us. Everyone's pitching up. Their, their positions and their roller banners. You must join us. We are what will make university awesome for you. So, this is kind of Freshers' Week. And there's this huge university, um, this huge building. And it's early on in, in the human narrative. And all the gods have got their stools out, saying on their roller banner what they're about. And in this story, we read it in a linear fashion, and for the Hebrew people, they understand things much more in block, in a complete story, 
So they're never kind of left in this idea of hanging until they have the complete story, then they make up their opinion. Whereas for us, we move on this linear fashion. So as we read this story, we're like, are you kidding me? This is who I worship? I am so tapping out right now. This is not what I'm down with. And so we read it in that fashion, but they didn't see it in that way. What they would have got from this story, and which is why many rabbis have, with their commentaries on this particular passage, have stated, this is a God setting out his stool, saying, I am totally against child sacrifice. This is not who I am. And for us, we grew up in a society that is completely against child sacrifice. So straight away when we read the story, we're not open to it in any way. At least I hope none of us are open to it. I hope none of us were swingers in the area of child sacrifice. You know, I could do that on a Sunday. Wouldn't mind too much. Wouldn't ruin the worship experience for me. Um, I hope none of us are in that kind of area. But for Abraham, you have to understand his position and the world that he lives in. That you see, when God asks him to do this, he believes 100% it's God. He has no question with that. Notice there's no argument. He doesn't go to God, well, actually, I'm not sacrificing my son. Like, hell no. Because although at this particular moment in time, it wasn't a huge um, popular thing trending on Twitter, it was still a known thing that happened amongst various different deities that children would be sacrificed to their gods. The gods are angry, and to appease the gods, you would do something like that. But actually, this is perfectly timed because after this, later on, what would start to trend on Twitter for a couple of hundred years is child sacrifice. It would be a huge issue. A number of other gods would have this modus of worshipping. And what Abraham calls the place of the end is the most important thing. He said that, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. They went away knowing something very different about this God. With this God, it wasn't about you give to appease God, but God would give and God would provide. Totally different. Totally radically different. Totally, totally different mentality that God would be the one who provides. He is the one that makes things okay. He is the one who appeases. And so in this moment with Abraham, he starts off on this journey. He starts on a day that would teach not only him a lesson, but would lay down a law and a principle for generations of hundreds of years afterwards that this is not okay. This is not cool. This isn't how we roll. This isn't who we are. This is not who God is. It's not just about who God is. This passage tells us who he isn't. And thousands and thousands of years later, just like we talked about lamentations and we compared it to like a basketball hoop and like a swoosh, a three-pointer that's hanging in the air, not knowing where it would land, this particular passage, this particular story sets out God pointing to who he's going to be. He's revealing to, to his people that day the kind of person he is. Now, if you'll roll with me a couple of, almost a thousand pages forward, to John 19, verse 17. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place of the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. This is key. I want to point out something about Isaac. Abraham took the fire, he took the knife. Isaac carried the wood. Isaac carried the wood for his own sacrifice to be laid down. Here in this passage, so they took Jesus, he went out bearing his own cross, carrying his own wood to the sacrifice, to the place of a skull, which is in Aramaic called Golgotha. Now, Abraham went to a mountain called Mount Moriah, and God didn't say specifically, in the text doesn't say to us where it was chosen, but God said, I will show you a place. 
And so Abraham goes and it says that he, he sees the place. So he sees the place. So it is visibly recognizable to Abraham from what was described to him by God. So he goes to the place. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to a place of skull, of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Now this place is on Mount Moriah. So Mount Moriah is where Jerusalem is built. Now Mount Moriah has the temple built upon it. In the Levitical laws, to the north of the tabernacle is where the sacrifices would take place. The tabernacle and the temple is in the south on Mount Moriah. Towards Jesus was crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem. The only part of um, Mount Moriah that is outside of Jerusalem literally is to the north. And it is Golgotha, the place of skull which is visibly recognisable. If you ever see a picture, my dad's got the holiday snaps. I'll post it up on Facebook later for you guys to see. It looks clearly like a skull. And also there have been other guys that have noticed the, the tears and the breaks in the side of the mountain there, which would kind of fit in with an earthquake that, um, oh, what's his name? Would have been proud of. I can feel enough. Labyrinth. Come in, Labyrinth. Would have been proud of. There's a great tear in the mountain. So they took Jesus... And he went out bearing his own cross to a place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others on his side. Like last week we were talking about these two homeboys that were to either side of Jesus and how lamentation ends. And we come back to this passage again today. And the reason we come to this passage again today, because when Abraham is taking his son on a journey up to sacrifice him, he makes this statement. He says, when his son says, where's the lamb, dad? We've got the fire, we've got the knife uh, we left the other guys behind there's just me (laughs) hashtag awkward cue tumbleweed what's going down and abraham says to him literally in the hebrew the lord himself will be the sacrifice the lord himself will provide the sacrifice they rock up they see this ram with its head caught in the thickets the thorns around its head like jesus with this crown of thorns and as they're standing on this sacrifice when abraham says literally the lord will provide the sacrifice he's telling his son you're the sacrifice because all his life he's well, not all, all his life, this boy will have known that God had promised Abraham that he'd have a son and that he was God's provision for their family and provision for the promise. And God said through Abraham, through your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so in this boy, Abraham is about to lay him down. And people have said, I heard theologians say, Abraham believed that if he sacrificed his son, he was gonna, God would raise him back from, for, from the dead. And I've heard people go, oh, yeah, 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 that makes it an okay story. Dude, it was a burnt offering. He wasn't just going to kill the dude with a knife. This guy was going to get nuked. This guy was like, this, this was not like a kind of thing like, oh, slit, and then go, oh, please, put him back together. He was about to like flip in, incinerate this dude as well. He was like, he was fully committed. This wasn't, this was like, this wasn't the case of family guy. We can rebuild him. We have the technology, but I don't want to spend a lot of money. It's not what was happening here. He was incinerating the body. It was going to get completely nuked. And so at this place on Mount Moriah, at Abraham lays down his son, ready to lay him down. God provides, he points this huge beacon. It's a huge beacon. Like Abraham was looking for a place whose city and name and maker was God. And then Jerusalem ends up on the mountain where this happens. The temple ends up there. You can only sacrifice to the north of the temple. The northern point of the temple is Golgotha. John the Baptist said, when Jesus walked around, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then here this guy is getting crucified at the place of the skull. Abraham sees a place that's recognizable. And it's probably all of these stuff accumulates together and points to this amazing moment that um, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And he names this place. This is the place where the Lord provides. 
And all these years later, Jesus is crucified by non-religious, well, they were religious, they believed Caesar was God, but non-religious, not believing in the words of the scriptures, they crucify him exactly in the place of the skull, a place where the Lord provides. And in that moment in history, the Lord provided his life for us at Mount Moriah. And he did that, and he invites us to take up our cross and follow him. He invites us to follow him up the mountain of sacrifice. He invites us to pursue him in this way. And why does he do it? Because why do we climb the mountain if for a moment, if for an instance, it's because when we are lifted to that place, when we see things from the perspective that God has for us, he wants us not only to encounter him in the mountaintop experience, but he wants us to live our lives down in the valley knowing what we've seen and what we've encountered. Are you with me this morning? Yeah. Are you seeing what I'm saying? He's calling us. He's calling us to be like him. He's calling us to follow him. He wants to give us a glimpse this morning of sacrifice, of love, of the goodness of God that the God provides for us. But he wants us to get, grab a glimpse of that because he wants us to provide for others. He wants us to live missional lives that care for the people around us, care for those that we don't know. He is our provider. He is our provider. So at Mount Moriah, something sacred happened. But at the place of the skull, the Lord provided us with a life worth living, a life worth sharing, a life worth laying down, that others and that those around us, just like us, can live a life more abundantly than they ever dreamed or imagined. I'm just going to pray for us this morning. Father God, I thank you that you have turned up to Fresh this week and you set out your stall and you're saying to us this morning what you're about and you invite us to follow you. You invite us to be like you. Holy Spirit, would you come this morning and would you give us a fresh perspective of who you are, the sacrifices you make, the love you have for us, Lord, that as we step out, as we follow you, Lord Jesus, we would look and see as you look and see that we would have a paradigm shift in the way that we see the people we engage with every single day may we see may we be willing to sacrifice what is most precious to us like abraham was in following you we thank you that abraham learned that actually it's you that sacrifice and give to us that we might have something of worth to bring and to give that you are the sacrifice we thank you that all those years later jesus gave his life he said, no man takes my life from me. It is mine to give. He gave his life away at the place of the skull that we might have life and life more abundantly. Father God, as we encounter and as we see you in a new way this morning, may we go from here living differently. May we live in the valley, in the lower echelons of our lives, but with this in view, that we may never forget this image of sacrifice and of love and of worship, that we will live lives pleasing to you everywhere we go because once we have seen we know and we are able to live that way even when we are not in those mountaintop experiences father we just ask you to be with us that you transform us you empower us we pray this week we'll have opportunities to share with people encourage people pray for people and invite people along to church as well lord god give us eyes to see give us ears to hear lord in jesus name amen, amen.